Well, I received a card last week from our sister church in, in, uh, our, in town, Berean Covenant Church, and I thought I'd read it to you. It says, with appreciation. Then there's a scripture uh, from John 1, 16. We have all received one gracious blessing after another. Pastor Randy and Windsor Road Church family, praying that God brings you many blessings for your kindness. And then this handwritten portion, your generous heart and donations help our church family bless over 500 families. And we want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Your, your kindness is the love the world needs to see. Love, Pastor Comer and the Brian Covenant Church family. Isn't that a beautiful card? I love the, especially the, it's that last sentence. Your kindness is the love the world needs to see. I met with Pastor Willie and I uh, tried to communicate to him that really we, it, it was our holy privilege to be able to be a part of this gift from Jesus. And that this gift is evidence of oneness in Christ. That, that in essence, the special offering that was received before Christmas was not, it, it, in my mind, it was not one church body giving money to another church body. Instead, it was a gift given by Jesus through a part of his body which depends on and cares for another part of his body so that the world may know Jesus' whole body. So one part from the head through one part through another part so the world might see the whole part. That's how to see this. And the special offering was a demonstration of solidarity and care between members of one body for the world. It was a relay of grace from Christ through us, through our sister church, so that together 500 families might experience Christ. And church family, it is the kindness of love that the world needs to see. The world needs to see more of Christ's whole body and the care and the dependency of one part for another part for God's glory and the good of the world. And this card was just nourishment to my soul. It's just especially in... The context of this past week. This week I've lamented. I've lamented the mob activity in Washington, D.C. I've been sick in spirit over Confederate flags trespassing the Capitol as well as blasphemously pasted Jesus banners in the hands of insurrectionists. And I've been lamenting the effects of fleshly, arrogant, transactional, bigoted presidential leadership. How can a nation divided be united? And who will unite us? Well, the answer is 
the Christian scriptures. Scripture insists that God's plan is to unite all things in Christ, all things in heaven and all things in earth. So the answer to our rupture is the Christian scripture. So let's look to the Christian scripture. If you have your Bibles, I want you to meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And today we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 31. The Apostle Paul is writing to a ruptured church, a divided church, divided Christians in the first century city of Corinth. And they were divided. They were divided over who their favorite preacher was. They were divided over lawsuits. They were divided over the Lord's Supper. They were divided over sexual immorality in the church community. They were divided because they forgot who they were. And when you forget who you are and what that means, conflict and division are not far away. Paul's trying to tell this church, you are afflicted with identity amnesia. You need to know who you are if you're going to be united. And so I want us to hear what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. And I want you to be listening for identity. Who, who is God calling us to be? Who does God say we are? You are not who you think you are. You are not who the world thinks you are. You are who God says you are. And these verses tell us who we are. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. That the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the, feet, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, 
that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. This is God's word. Wow. Now, do you know who you are based on this? So that there can be no confusion. You, we, are His body. That's who we are. We're the body of Christ. And because of this, Christ expects us, expects us to rely on and care for each other so that the world will know Him. How can a divided nation find a way to unity? These verses teach us what unity looks like. Lasting unity. Eternal unity. Unity in Christ. It's only by the Holy Spirit that one can say Jesus is Lord. To authentically claim Jesus as the king of your life requires the presence of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, producing character traits such as mutual reliance and loving care. So as we consider these verses this morning, church family, let's just Let's just explore the identity that God has for us, who we are. And then let's consider the implications of that identity. And then applications for today. Identity, implications, and applications. That's where we're going today. Identity. Here is who we are. We are the embodied presence of Christ on earth today. That's behind verses 12 and 13. I'll read them again. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So Paul is arguing that Jesus Christ is walking the streets of Corinth in the skin of the Corinthian church. 
And just as your physical body exists in a time-space dimension, so Christ's body exists in a time-space dimension in the church community. That's plural. So there's no such thing as a one-member church. And there's no such thing as an unchurched Christian. It takes all of us connected in community to display the glory of Jesus in our world. And notice how, how specific that the apostle Paul is in verse 12. Notice that Paul, Paul does not say, for just as the human body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, okay? He does not say then, so it is with the church. He doesn't say that, does he? He says what? So it is with Christ. Christ. Why does he say that? Because in Paul's mind, when the world sees us, they should think of Christ. Our mission is to display the life of Christ. And when our Champaign-Urbana community makes contact with our church body, they are making contact with some version of Jesus. And my prayer, our calling, is that it be the true biblical version the Corinthians never met the historic Jesus of the Gospels, the Jesus of Nazareth. They did not. Rather, they met Jesus via his apostolic ambassador. The Apostle Paul, who said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And of the congregation, Paul says this in Colossians 3, 2 through 4. Set your minds on things above, not on the things that are of earth. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. You see? See, our community is going to meet Jesus. They're going to see a version of Jesus when they look at our lives. Now, what version will that be? Will it be the true, authentic Jesus of scriptures? Or will, will it be the Jesus of culture? Someone might say, well, I, I want to see the real Randy. No, you don't. He's dead. He's dead. See, see, the real Randy is Christ alive. And the real Randy is the resurrected king resurrecting Randy's corpse to new life. And our, and our mission is to cooperate with Jesus' activity in our skin. And that takes all of us. That's what's behind verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. So what we have here in verse 13, is a pictorial directory of the Corinthian church. Just a, that's that snapshot. 
Verse 13 summarizes the variety of folks in the Corinthian church. Men and women and citizens and non-citizens and freed slaves and slaves without legal recourse and Hebrews and Greeks and Romans and, uh, and rich and poor and military and civilian because Corinth was a colony of the Roman Empire. And there were rich, there were poor, there were homeowners, there were renters, there were homeless you think these folks agreed on everything? You think there were any differences between them? Was life hard? Yet when they received Christ, they were plunged into the Holy Spirit. And they emerged as an otherworldly community. So the Christian life now is about more than just me. The Christian life is not just about how I am doing as an individual. Rather, it's about how we are doing as a community. And God designed his body to be a mixture of people from all across the map. Men, women, children. We're a mixture of ethnicities and nationalities. The, the church is Jesus' world-changing social experiment of bringing folks who are not like each other to a table of shared life. We are a new kind of family, one scholar says. And when this happens, we show the world what love and justice and peace and reconciliation and life together are meant by God to be. The, the, our congregation is to be God's show and tell to, for the world to see how God wants us to live as a church family. The late Pastor Manuel Scott Sr. once said, you never want to have a gospel that you can only preach on one side of town. Now that we are his body means that Jesus is reaching out through us to others. And he is saying to the broken, he's saying to the lonely, He's saying to those who pursued a golden calf to no end. He's saying, he's saying to Hebrew, Greek, rich, poor, men, women, children, citizens, not just. He's saying, I see you and I want you. And furthermore, the, the word picture of the body speaks to every broken person. It says it's okay to be broken. For my body was broken for you on the cross. You're broken? I get you. When you hurt, I feel it. When you are tempted, I burn. When you are weak, I'm weary. And when we, we have a success, I rejoice. See, it's called empathy and sympathy. As Christ, as his body. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And that must mean that his church must be a body that sympathizes with others' weaknesses, you see. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. 
So this is who we are. You never have to wonder who you are anymore. The question then is, is do you believe it? And, and will you live by it? You are, we are, Christ's embodied presence on earth today. If our community is to know, think about how you came to the Lord. It's because you saw Christ in someone else's life. That's how you came to the Lord. We all come to the Lord the same way. We see the life of Christ in someone else's life or in the congregation's life. And you see this, you see this taste of heaven. You taste it and see that the Lord is good. And you say, I want to know this God. And I want to belong. And by grace through faith, you're in. We're his body. That's the identity portion. Now, here are the implications. What does that mean, that we are his body? Well, you see where I'm going with this, but let me just explain. What that means, uh, write down these words. Complementary interdependence. Complementary interdependence. That's how one author put it. Complementary, that is, we complete each other. We complete each other. Interdependence, we need each other. We need each other. That's what's behind verse 14 and following. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And then Paul explains this by a couple of parables in verses 15 and 16. He tells about the parable of a talking foot. And the parable of a talking ear. Whoever said Paul didn't have a sense of humor hasn't read this passage of scripture. Once upon a time, there was a talking foot. And this talking foot said, I wish I were a hand. If only I were a hand, I'd belong. And then there was a talking ear. Ears don't talk. Ears listen. Not this one. It wants to talk. Huh? Verses 15 and 16. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body... That would not make it any less part of the body. So, so actually the foot not only wants to be the hand, but the foot wants to be a mouth because the foot is speaking. Huh? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. So it wants to be an eye and a mouth. Paul says, no, that, just because you're not an eye doesn't, doesn't make you any less part of the body. What's Paul's point? Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, does that not sound like something out of the twilight zone? Where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? See, there's something monstrous about that image, right? Listen, some of you think that you're useless because you are not like another body part. And let me just plead with you. Well, let me challenge you here. Let me love you and challenge you. Anyone who thinks he's useless because his function is not like another's is basically saying that the church should not be one body with many parts, but one body with a few parts that look like each other. And uh, that's not God's design. Verses 18 and 19. As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? And so four times in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 11, 18, 24, and 28. 
11, 18, 24, and 28, Paul says that the parts of the body are what they are by God's own election. Now, here's something interesting. Um, We read this passage of Scripture about the body and the body parts, and we might think to ourselves, well, Paul is just original. Actually, he's not being original at all. Actually, he's borrowing this analogy from a well-known secular historian. A guy by the name of Dionysius of Halicarnassus. Had to practice that. Dionysius of Halicarnassus, who lived in the time of Augustus Caesar. I learned this for the first time just this week. I want to share this with us. Dionysius of Halicarnassus wrote these words. This was, this, was, um, this was before Paul became a Christian. Dionysius wrote these words. He wrote these words. A commonwealth resembles in some measure a human body. For each of them is composite and consists of many parts. And no one of their parts either has the same function or performs the same service as the others. Isn't that interesting? That sounds like something Paul said. Well, Paul's, Paul's borrowing from Dionysius here. Dionysius goes on to say that if the feet and the hands and the shoulders should all rise up against the belly, they'd all die because the parts need nourishment from the belly. And um, the context of Dionysius' remarks has to do with the Roman Senate. Dionysius said that the belly was the Roman Senate and the feet and the hands and the shoulders were the lower classes of society who threatened to rise up because they got tired of the belly getting fat while the feet did all the work. Dionysius writes, the commonwealth is composed of many classes of people not at all resembling one another, every one of which contributes some particular service to the common good just as its members do to the body. And so when the Corinthians heard Paul's version of this, the stronger, more gifted, wealthier believers thought that Paul was going to affirm their superiority. Because that's what Dionysius was arguing. Dionysius was arguing, when he spoke those words, Dionysius said, Rome needs you to stay in your lane or else we'll all come apart. Theirs was not a democracy. Theirs was a caste system, a hierarchy of power. And Dionysius was using the image of the body uh, so that the strong could keep the status quo and the poor could keep the status quo and just stay in your lane. And Paul takes a secular image and he baptizes it in Jesus. Because that's not Paul's point at all. He flips that picture on its head. He Christianizes a familiar, secular image of his day. Puts it in the name of Jesus. Paul's point is not stay in your lane and keep the power base status quo. Rather, his point is cross-shaped, cruciform, 
Serve one another. Help one another. Love one another. Care for one another. Express your dependence on one another. Paul's point is we need each other. We complete each other. We are as interdependent on each other as a human body. Therefore, the strong must help the vulnerable and not exploit them. And it's okay to be vulnerable. In Christ's body, the stronger parts don't act in condescension over the weaker parts. The stronger put their strength to the service of the weaker. You say, Pastor, where do you get that? Keep reading. What does verses 24 through 26 say? But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Here it is. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That's the point of your gift. Whatever your gift is. The the point of your gift is not self-expression. It is self-sacrifice in the care of others. So if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Listen, you know this is true. When I broke my shoulder in November, the rest of my body didn't say, well, go to the emergency room shoulder and let us know what happened. You know that, right? When I broke my shoulder, the rest of my body went with me to the emergency room. And the rest of my body felt the effect of this broken bone. I was woozy and nauseous. My stomach wasn't the one that, but, my st- but everything was talking. What is that? That's called complementary interdependence. Listen to me. The cells in your body, the cells in your body exist for the body. And there is a medical term for human cells that go rogue. When a, when a cell in a human body lives for itself instead of the body, you know what they call that? Cancer. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And then we see these different functions and gifts. And in verse 28, it just seems to be mentioned chronologically. That's what's behind first and second and third. And the grammatical answer in verses 29 and 30 to every one of those seven rhetorical questions are all apostles. Are all prop- the, the, the grammatical answer to every one of those seven rhetorical questions is the answer, no. <laughs> Not everybody is an apostle. Not a, that's the whole point of Paul's trying to say. We're may, one body, many parts. Okay. Complementary interdependence is how we discover our gifts. Spiritual gifts are discovered in our desires They're tested in our abilities. They're explored in our opportunities. And they're confirmed in the church community. 
They're, they're discovered in our desires. What, what, re, what am I drawn to? What resonates to my soul? They're tested in our abilities. You know, what am I good at? What is effective? They're explored in our opportunities. So what doors of service are being offered? What needs to be done? If you want to start somewhere in terms of finding out how God has gifted you, go explore opportunities. Just go, go serve somewhere. Try something. And, and then they're confirmed in our community. Uh, what, what does that mean specifically? That means, that means mature brothers and sisters in Christ. Get feedback from them. Any one of these elders. Spend some time with any one of these elders. And seek their counsel. So my story, my story is that uh, my home church, East Tulsa Christian Church. My first pulpit was a third and fourth grade Sunday school class for boys. Those poor boys. Uh, I was a freshman in high school, and, I, you know, I had a Bible and a voice. And I just yelled for about 50 minutes, you know. <laughs> uh, in, in 10th grade, I preached my first sermon at Sunday night church. And then in 11th grade, I, I preached at youth group. And then in 12th grade, I preached again. And I had an internship at my home church. And that led to Bible college and ordination and apprenticeship. And I was called to serve here. I've continued education. That's, that's my path. Your history will differ from mine. But the principles are still the same. Desiring, exploring, confirming in community. In community. For the community. And the glory of Christ. So here are two specific applications. And then I'll be done. Uh, there's a never say. And then there's an always say. And they're straight from the text. Never say. Never say. I have no need of you. We don't say that here. I have no need of you. We, <laughs> When, listen, when unity is threatened or when we have a disagreement, that there is a temptation to fantasize a fellow Christian out of your life. To just, just wish their disappearance. And in verse 22, Paul says, on the contrary, look, instead of saying I don't need you, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. In fact, Paul says they seem to be. It seems to be. It doesn't mean they are. They may or may not be. It doesn't matter. They're, they're necessary. We're ne Every person here is necessary. You're not optional. It's not just helpful. It's you not, this might be, but no, you are necessarily a needful part of the body. You know, Lord willing, we're all going to be regathering, I pray, sometime this year. I don't know when. I want to be ready. We need each other to be ready. And I'm not just talking about the you know, volunteer service opportunities that help this congregation be strong. I'm talking about the fact that, you know, sometime just before you walk into this worship center, someone may need you to pray for them. That's what I'm talking about. 
So never say, I have no need of you. Always say, always, always say, let me care. Let me care for you. Let let me care for you, verses 24 and 25. God has composed the body that the members may have the same care for one another. Same care for one another. Man, not, not I'll give you the same care if I agree with you all the time. But if you're suffering, I want to suffer with you. If you are rejoicing, let's celebrate together. How can I care for you by encouraging your giftedness? You, you know, I saw you do this. I observed this in you. I heard you say this. I read what you wrote. I think you should explore this. In other words, let your gifting emerge in community, in relationships. I'll say it again. There's no such thing as a one-member church. And there's no such thing as an unchurched Christian. To have a personal relationship with Christ is to be a part of his body. And you know what? If you're, if you're the foot, well, you know, sometimes feet can be smelly. Okay? Yeah. And, you know, fingernails can get dirty. And we need to learn to live with this. Better still, serve that foot by washing it in water like Jesus did. Belonging to the body is to feel its pains, share its hungers, know its limits, suffer in its illnesses, and dance its hope for resurrection. And all these members of the body do together and for each other. And meanwhile, Jesus continues to arrange and rearrange the parts according to the needs of the whole. It's because the church is a living body, growing and advancing and progressing so as to be Christ's presence on earth. We are not like his body. We are his body. When Jesus left the, heavenly, when Jesus left the earthly realm to the heavenly realm, he did not leave a shrine or a monument. We are what he left. And when people ask, where is God in the world? And what is he like? Our mission is to say, here, let us care. Amen.